I remember teaching for the first time, uh, sixth grade, moved from the Midwest, right? Chicago boy who studied down University of Illinois and then uh, went south to Georgia outside of ATL for my te- first teaching position. Sixth grade, had a student named Pat. And Pat was bouncing off the walls. Like, like this kid could not focus. It was very challenging to get him to do work, et cetera, et cetera. Obviously, well, maybe it's not obvious, but he, he had ADHD, which is fine. And today's guest, Dr. Roseanne, talks about how her experience with, quote unquote, the worst case of ADHD that she had ever seen as a, uh, as a professional therapist, right? So this kid is at the top of that list has a miraculous turnaround story in terms of being a story that challenges your perspective when it comes to what you perceive as limits in terms of healing. And so Dr. Rowe, who is this, is this health expert, uh, she gives many ideas in terms of, okay, the only solution doesn't have to be medication. There's all these things that we could do. And, and how do we get to be solution-focused as a community? So we'll, we'll talk about that uh, during the show. That's where we start. Um, but we also did something really fun with this one. This is releasing, you know, in, in April, but we actually recorded it way back in August. And it was the first time recording in front of a live audience. And so that that was a lot of fun. And I wonder if it comes across in terms of the conversation at all for you, Ruckus Maker, that's listening. So anyways, if you want to get an invite to be a, a participant, a live audience member for when we record, at least as of right now, recording this intro, we're doing those recordings on Mondays at 5 Eastern. Uh, we might add another day with a later time to hopefully expand availability to other time zones. Uh, but right now that's what we're doing and you'll have to be on the Better Leaders email list. So make sure you hop over to the website, just download a resource. I mean, honestly, you could email me, daniel at betterleadersbetterschools.com and you could also just say, hey, add me to the list and I'll, I'd be happy to do that. So, But like I said, this is Danny, chief ruckus maker over at Better Leaders Better Schools and this show is for you an out-of-the-box innovative school leader making change happen in education. So we'll get into the main content of the show in just a second. But first, let's get in a message from our show's sponsors. Learn how to successfully navigate change, shape your school's success, and lead your teams with Harvard's Certificate in School Management and Leadership. Get world-class Harvard faculty research specifically adapted for pre-K through 12 schools, self-paced online professional development that fits your schedule. Apply now for our June 22 cohort at betterleadersbetterschools.com slash Harvard. Are you automatically tracking online student participation data during COVID? Innovative school leaders across the country have started tracking online student participation using TeachFX because it's one of the most powerful ways to improve student outcomes during COVID, especially for English learners and students of color. Learn more about TeachFX and get a special offer at teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. 
That's teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. All students have an opportunity to succeed with Organized Binder, who equips educators with a resource to provide stable and consistent learning, whether that's in a distance, hybrid, or traditional educational setting. Learn more at organizedbinder.com. Well, hey there, Ruckus Maker. I am really excited today to be joined by my guest, Dr. Roseanne Kapana-Hodge. And she is a mental health trailblazer, founder of the Global Institute of Children's Mental Health, and media personality who is changing the way we view and treat children's mental health. She is known for brain-based solutions for struggling kids, and her work has helped thousands reverse the most challenging conditions, such as ADHD, anxiety, mood, Lyme, and PANS pandas, using proven holistic therapies. She is often featured on dozens of media outlets. Dr. Roseanne, welcome to the show. Well, I'm looking forward to this and how I'm always getting you the first person that you've done the live with. So that's pretty exciting. It is exciting. I'm feeling a bit nervous, but happy to do it with you. Jesse's running co-pilot. Live audience is here. So this is great. I want to I wanna start our conversation off with uh, a story about the worst case of ADHD that you've ever seen. And so take us to that moment. Dr. Yeah. So, you know, this is my 30th year in mental health. And, you know, I think anytime you work with kids, um, you always feel like you've seen everything. But probably almost 20 years ago, I worked with a boy. His name has been changed to Alec. And he, to this day, had the worst case of ADHD I've ever seen across age, gender, you know, ethnicity, income level. And why is that? Well, Alec was one of those kids that had the attention span of a flea. And if I looked left, he was climbing the wall on the right. And there really was never a time where that wasn't the case. And his mom had come to me and you know, these were people that had a lot of means to get their kid help and had tried, you name it, had tried everything. And they came to me because they were told I was a fixer. I was a detective. I was a person that made things better. And, you know, when I went to visit him at school, if you can visualize, he looked like he was having seizures at his desk. He was contorting his body all over the place. He was getting literally zero work done despite having almost a near perfect IQ, which was almost a circus event in itself to get that you know, measured. And so, you know, off mom went and to try psychiatric medication. And what happened was he had cardiac problems as a result of the psychiatric medications and they had to stop. So we tried a bunch of different behavioral things, Somewhat improved, but essentially he wasn't getting by, not even, you know, for 10 minutes worth of work without needing behavioral support. And that's a lot on a kid. It's a lot on a parent and it's a lot on a teacher. And so what happened was a few months later, his mom called me and said, hey, you know, Dr. Roseanne, what do you think of neurofeedback? And I call, I, you know, said, Hey, I wrote a paper on it in grad school. It's pretty awesome. There's nobody local. She said, I know. So she went and drove three times a week for a few months. I happened to be out in town and Alec walked up to me, put his hand out and said, hi, Dr. Roseanne. I turned to his mother, said a potty word. 
and was like, what medication do you have on this kid on? Like, what's going on? And she was like, that's neurofeedback. And that literally just changed my world. I already was integrative and was already realizing what we were doing and how we were supporting kids with any kind of learning or behavior or attentional issue just wasn't really working in the day to day. Um, And fast forward all these years later, of course, he's a super amazing the one of the most chillest adults I've ever known in my life. And you would never in a million years know that he was the most hyperactive kid with ADHD I've ever seen. Um, So he's doing great on every level you could think of. So super proud of him. Dr. Roseanne, thanks for sharing that story. You know, sometimes I could be a a bit of a, a slow learner. So I'm just curious in terms, when you said neurofeedback, can you unpack that for me a little bit? That's a new idea. Sure. Sure. Well, I can unpack neurofeedback all day long because I'm nerdy like that. So let's make it really simple on what it is. So neurofeedback through the use of technology, we teach somebody three years and up all the way into their 80s how to regulate their brain. And how do you do that, you ask? So the computer gives reinforcement every time a person produces that healthy combination of brain waves that lets them be focused and calm. That's pretty much what all types of neurofeedback are going to have you achieve that calm focus. That is awesome. I always try to equate it to like you wake up on a Saturday and you got to sleep in and you got to have a cup of tea or a cup of coffee and you have the whole day to yourself and you just feel really good. You know, that's kind of how neurofeedback is. And so, you know, really what happens is this is based on operant conditioning for all of my school peeps. And you're just getting reinforced every time you produce that healthy combination and the brain learns to become healthy, just like working out, it's building a muscle. So super pleasant, tens of thousands of research studies, 3000 peer reviewed studies mm-hmm. from everything from ADD to anxiety, uh, OCD, you name it. There's a lot of research to support how effective it is in regulating the nervous system and brain. Brilliant. And, you know, the, that story that we started with, and now you unpacking a bit what neurofeedback's all about, what when it came to that uh, student who had the worst case ADHD that you had, what did that experience teach you about the limits of healing? Yeah, you know, I was so classically trained, right? When you're going to school to become a psychologist um, and I was trained to be a school psychologist and a clinical psychologist and a therapist all in one in our program was pretty cool. And so you you know, what are you taught? You're taught about psychiatric medication. You're taught about talk therapy. If you're lucky, like I was, I was taught about, you know, behavioral support and how to reinforce behavior to get, you know, a behavior that you want to have a kid do, right? You know, how do you shape behaviors? I learned a lot about that and and how do kids learn and process in the brain. But what I learned from Alec, and I had already been learning this because I was working in psychiatric hospitals special ed schools, is that you could have great teachers, great buildings, great parents, great therapists, and some kids just weren't getting better. And so what he taught me was there was another way. There was another way beyond, and actually not another way, many other ways when we look at research and how to support the brain to get kids' behaviors to reset There was so much more. There was nutrition, there was homeopathy and supplements, there was 
different types of psychotherapy beyond traditional talk therapy. Um, and, and there was also a lot to do. I learned so much from schools about how the right environment and the right mix of kids could make a huge impact on a kid. And, and not just on that kid, but on the community in, it, in itself. So that was an amazing experience for me. And I was very grateful that I had worked in psychiatric hospitals because I got to see what worked with the hardest kids. And once you know what works with the hardest kids, everything else seems like you can crack that code. You can make it work, you know? Yeah. My thing is like Sinatra said, if I can make it uh, in New York City, right? If I can make it there, I can make it anywhere. So yeah. <laughs> same idea. We're recording this live, you know, this is an experiment from the, the audience and we'll put this on YouTube shortly after I'm recording, but the actual podcast that will get produced, that doesn't come out until April. So just want to note that for the ruckus maker listening in the future, but to the, to the live audience, and this is still useful uh, to the, to the future listener too, but how, how are you thinking about the return to school this year? You know, it's a different return than last year. We know a little bit more about what to expect. I think that that's good and bad, right? So now it's not as much the fear of the complete unknown. I think what, what educators and communities are facing is a whole lot of hostility and anger from people. Um, people are very stressed and some people are taking care of things and recalibrating and learning how to take care of themselves, but many aren't. And so we have a community, a consciousness of people that are stress in a way that I've actually never seen before. And so they're bringing that to school, right? And somehow schools have become the fix-all for everything. And it shouldn't be, right? We, we are a community and you can't over-rely on one part in the community. All members have to do their part, right? I think the thing that I am, you know, seeing is that, and I have been seeing for 30 years is, how are we supporting parents? How are we supporting, you know, teachers? How are we supporting people to know what they should do, right? So we talk about what the problem is and we never talk about solutions. And that's except for medication, <laughs> right, right? right? And there's a whole beautiful world in between. It has a lot of research. Um, and so that part always worries me. I, I know that's why, um, you know, I do all this media and people like me in the media because I'm common sense. I give real solutions for real problems all the time. And I wish we were having way more of that dialogue instead of saying, here's this problem. You must see a therapist. Here is this problem. You must do this. There, there's a lot of beautiful colors in between that we could support things and catch kids earlier on. We have clear understanding of what behavioral problems look like early on, but yet we're afraid to teach parents that and then open that door of what they can do. Mm -hmm. So I think when I think about returning to school, when I think about this year, I don't know that we have anything proactive in place moving forward. And yet we have a consciousness of people that are hurting, you know, not just the kids. I'm even more worried about their parents than I am the actual kids and how much of that is rubbing off. Right. We'll, we'll get to the proactive piece yeah. in just a second, but I, I really like to hear too. I know 
that there's a difference between stress and anxiety. So how, how do you define those terms? Yeah. So we all face stress, right? <laughs> Sometimes some days more than others, right? You know, yeah. like your computer, I was remember I was doing a really important live thing and all of a sudden my computer <laughs> literally died, yeah. died in the middle of it. No warning. Eh. So this girl always has a backup next to it. Right. And I go. just was like, I could feel that my autonomic nerve. So what, what, controls your stress response is something called the autonomic nervous system, right? And so it says, hey, this is a stressful event. You need to go into a sympathetic dominant. Hey, this is not stressful. Stay in your relaxed parasympathetic state. So I went into a sympathetic dominant. I started to, I started to sweat, remained really cool. And I was able to get back online in about 90 seconds on my second computer because mm. this girl is smart and leaves it set open. And all I have to do is click a button and get right back on. So I didn't have to monkey around. So I heard that death cry of that computer. I knew it was the other computer. It wasn't coming back. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, when we face stressors, we have this system that if it's working right, you get stressed, you go to sympathetic dominant, comes back. Now, you know, stressors are everyday things like something like that. It could be annoying brother and sister. It could be a, a bus ride that's really loud. It could be... It, there's just so many things that affect particularly kids in their daily life, right? And and some kids are better at managing stress. They're just more stress resilient. They have good coping skills. They just don't view stress in the same way. And we can talk about why that is, some of its temperament, but a lot of it, most of it is learned skills that come through their parents. That's just really where they learn those skills, right? They'll learn them more in other environments, but, you know, the number one determinant of kids' mental health is actually maternal mental health. So, and number two is how autonomous parents are parenting a kid. Hmm. I mean, those are the two biggest determinants of a kid's mental health. It's not um, what car you have in the driveway, you know? Really? Yeah. <laughs> just, just saying that, everybody. You know, or what college your parents went to school to. Sure. Just, just saying that. So, you know, wait. We have this nervous system. And then there's times where kids have lots of stressors and some of it are really valid. Like what's on your table for dinner? You know, um, you're living in a high trauma crime ridden neighborhood. These are real stressors that are going to constantly activate a kid's nervous system. Even if they're safe, they're going to be around highly traumatized people that are violent. And so in an area of violence, this is what we know about areas where there's high trauma areas, violence and agitation follows. It's just what happens. Mm -hmm. And so they're getting activated by everybody else's activation. So their nervous system can't go back down. So stress is a normal response to things that happen in your life. When does it shift over to anxiety or clinical condition? So when a person's stress level moves to clinical anxiety, it is interfering in their daily life. It's interfering with their learning. It's interfering with their attention or, or their relationships with other people. There has to be a negative outcome. Now, I think the thing that people don't realize about clinical issues, not just anxiety, but all clinical issues, is that the majority of kids and adults with clinical issues are functional and can be highly functional in more than one area. So there still has to be at least one area where it's impacting them, but know that kids can be like straight A student, 
depressed and suicidal. Right. It happens every day. And one of the biggest problems in the American mental health system, and, and actually across the globe, it's it's changing everywhere, not in a good way, is that we use grades as a benchmark for mental health. And it absolutely should never be a benchmark for mental health because kids in particular with structure and routine can really hold it together to achieve, right? right? And especially if that's their value and what we're saying all kids should value is those grades, then they're going to throw their efforts into that. So there has to be an area where it's impacting them. And we also need to give up that it's obvious that kids are anxious and depressed. We'll talk about behavioral science. It absolutely does not have to be genetic, nor if you have it in your family history, does it mean your kids are going to get it too. Um, And environmental is way more of an impact, including chronic stress inflammation, you know, we know this through, through research and we have a lot of genetic mutations that are occurring that are altering how our body can utilize nutrients that affect our brain. So we're getting a lot more stressed kids. These are all factors that are, that are increasing things, neurodevelopmental disorders like ADD and autism, and there's a spiraling effect all around, but, you know, stress is normal. It can move from chronic stress to anxiety with repeated stressors. And our stressors don't have to be real. They can be imagined. They can be perceived. And um, chronic stress of any kind, even happy stress, can lead to clinical issues. So when we look at the top issues affecting adults for stress, number one is a divorce, and then it's death, and then it's birth and marriage. So you have the top issues. There's two awesome ones in there too. So we we really have to not always think. Sometimes when we think our kids are anxious, like like school teachers will say, like you your kid is this, and the parents are like, no, it's not even possible. It's not even possible because right. they're well fed. They live in a great street. They yeah. get along with their siblings, and they can't even wrap their mind around that their kid could be showing clinical, let's say OCD or anxiety or depression. So um, we, when we see the behaviors, we have to honor them and do right by our kids by giving them support and tools. Well, my, my two big takeaways from that just riff you shared there is like one, uh, a kid can, or an adult, right? Be a high performer on, on the outside, you know, have all the A's and be well put together from what you can visibly see and still have, some mental issues going on. And then the second takeaway was that there's, there's good stress too, right? So like you said, birth and uh, marriage. So maybe the kid, you know, performing high and that kind of thing, the parents saying, no, he's all right. We just have a baby on the way. Like what's their distress about, but that could actually be something that's, that's triggering what I'm, what I'm hearing you say there. So, yeah. And, and, you know, and again, kids can be on the surface looking like things are going really well. And I think that was a big surprise to parents in the pandemic. I think a lot of parents realized because they got to see so much time and how they responded to learning and how they responded to social disappointments and everything was at home. So they got to see what their kids could and couldn't do. And all of a sudden, a lot of light bulbs went off. Like I got more first time um, teens and young adults seeking mental health than I ever have probably in my entire career as I did in this pandemic. So it's a good thing. It's a good thing they were like, wait, sun's going on. Let me get some help. But in the same breath, all those parents, 
all said the same things to me. When I look back, it was clear. They had stomach aches. They had sleep problems. Um, they asked a lot of worried questions. A lot of those behavioral signs of stress and anxiety were present way earlier. And they all said that they were a good student and so, um, or had friends. And so they just didn't think it could be clinical. Well, Dr. Roseanne, I'm really enjoying our conversation. Uh, I think this is a good spot just to briefly pause so we can get in a message from our sponsors. Learn how to successfully navigate change, shape your school's success, and empower your teams with Harvard's Certificate in School Management and Leadership. Get online professional development that fits your schedule. Now enrolling for our June 2022 cohort. Courses include Leading Change, Leading School Strategy and Innovation, Leading People, and Leading Learning. Apply today at betterleadersbetterschools.com slash Harvard. That's betterleadersbetterschools.com slash Harvard. During COVID, every teacher is a new teacher. That's why innovative school leaders are turning to TeachFX, whose virtual PD is equipping thousands of teachers with the skills they need to create engaging, equitable, and rigorous virtual or blended classes. To learn more about TeachFX and get a special offer, visit teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. That's teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. Today's show is brought to you by Organized Binder. Organized Binder develops the skills and habits all students need for success. During these uncertain times of distance learning and hybrid education settings, Organized Binder equips educators with a resource to provide stable and consistent learning routines so that all students have an opportunity to succeed, whether at home or in the classroom. Learn more at OrganizedBinder.com. All right, and we're back with uh, Dr. Roseanne Kapana-Hodge, and we're talking so much good stuff, really around worst case of ADHD that she'd seen and the, um, what that taught her about the limits of healing. And we really just dug in the difference between stress and anxiety and had some epiphanies myself, you know, through this conversation. Where I'd like to take us now, Dr. Roseanne, is that, you know, leaders struggle with being reactive and probably even more so. I think in the pre-chat, you told me you've never seen leaders so reactive than uh, currently because of the stress of the pandemic. So in your view, how can leaders become more proactive this school year? I mean, I think all, all leaders, all community members, right? A good school has community lem- members and you can tell a lot about a school based on their leadership, right? Um, and I think one of the things that is desperately missing that it's so clear in this situation that we need is that everybody needs social emotional support. We need to be able to um, not be so reactive, not be so stressed, and we need to teach kids how to do that. We need to support our teachers and other administrators because I feel like they're so battle weary, right? And we still have, they're still not only supporting the kids and their anxiety, they're supporting some very agitated parents right now. Um, I'm not saying that everywhere, but I, I, we are seeing such dramatic incidences, even as we return to school of violence um, whether you believe in in masks or not, nobody has a right to get hit or smacked. And, and we're seeing this, right? And we saw it as people were traveling, right? The, the mm-hmm. amount of um, 
acts of aggression of people traveling is like through the roof, right? So I think one of the things for me that I know, if we look at science, you have to have, I always say you have to power down to power up and we need to be able to regulate our nervous system. And so by having mindfulness-based activities, which is something schools have been doing for a while, but maybe not as proactively. I would love to see a 15 to 20 minute period every single day and every single school across every age of things like breath work and meditation, yoga, whatever it is. Um, You'll have to face some hurdles, right? Because certain people, some some, uh, forms of Catholicism think meditation is against Catholicism. I mean, there's a lot of things, but breath work is pretty consistently accepted and it's free. And what we, why are we doing this? Well, we know that if your nervous system is in that sympathetic dominant state, no learning can take place. The brain will not allow it when it's in a fight fight or, or freeze mode, it's literally your executive functioning skills or your brain, that part of your brain goes offline. You're not able to pay attention, think, or take action in a way that's helpful. And so if we were to take, by the time you settle the kids down, you know, 10 minutes, right? So you have a 15 to 20 minute period, you give kids a chance to kind of plug in, what are we doing? Well, we're getting kids out of that fight, flight, or freeze. We're getting preparing their nervous system to um, learn, pay attention, take action. We're also going to be cutting down on all those reminders from kids that are showing overflow behaviors like agitation, um, hyperactivity, withdrawn behaviors. And we're going to help get our kids more prepared to learn, but we're also really teaching them about how they need to connect to their bodies so that they can deal with whatever is going on with them, right? I would love for this to filter back to families so that they knew how to do this for themselves, you know? But for me, that is one of the greatest things any school leader could do. Um, it's not that hard. Yes, I am working on a program, but <laughs> but it's not that hard to do. And it's a matter of, you know, what is the priority of your school district, which is a lot. There's a lot of priorities. And we've moved in these 30 years, we've moved to academics first, everything else second, with then throwing even more on the plates of schools, right? Social, emotional development, social, emotional development. But if kids are so agitated, they're not going to make the right social, emotional choices, So we're working backwards. This is what we see with our most impaired kids, that they can access all the parts of their brain, including social, emotional, language and understanding if they're agitated. So we calm the nervous system, calm them with new learning. And in case of schools, we're calming the nervous system so they can learn. Yeah, I I so appreciate everything you you shared there and a 15 to 20 minute period for students to have mindfulness, breath work, meditation, whatever you want to call it. you know, for some people that could be a spiritual experience, but uh, it can, if you do the do the work, dig into the research and the science of it, just uh, pausing, being able to, you know, focus on breath and uh, note, you know, what's going on in your monkey mind, right? And the emotions and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, your ability to focus, to uh, demonstrate empathy, just to be present. Like everything levels up. And so this is a really awesome 
opportunity for schools. And the last thing I'll add is like, it, I see such a need for it as well uh, with leaders, you know, that I support. I'm actually in a prerequisite course to then go on a two-year study of becoming like uh, a mindfulness uh, certified teacher because I want to be able to show up and serve my school leaders in that way because I think that would be a gift. And so anyways, I'm, I'm all in on what you were saying. So thank you, Dr. Rosanna. For I mean, it's what, it's what we have to actually be explicit about it now mm. because our kids, unlike our generation, we had plenty of downtime, right. right? We had power time, power off time. And these kids, just, they have a lot on their plate and we're not, we're, we have to address each generation has its own challenges and the stress levels and the, the amount of overstimulation is so extreme for all kids, younger and younger, we need to counter it. I mean, there's just what the research says, yeah. you know, I'm all science backed solutions. You know, this is what we need to do to move forward. We can't just keep talking about the problems we've got to, we've really got to address it with concrete solutions. Solutions focused back by science. You can't go wrong with that. Yeah, so. can't go wrong. <laughs> it's what That's the basis of my life's work, you know? There you go. Well, Dr. Rosin, what message would you put on all school marquees across the globe if you could do so for just a day? Gosh, you know I'd put 17 things on there, you yeah. know? <laughs> <laughs> that's it. But I mean, I say you have to power down to power off. And I think it's a great way that is would resonate with kids um, to help them to understand that you you have to be quiet for a little bit and you have to connect with your body. It's important for so many reasons. You'll miss all the messages that your body is telling you. And and this is also a big part of why people are struggling more emotionally. They're not listening to what is what's there. And it comes through those quietness to be really, really still and understand what is happening, but also to really give your brain and your body like moments of rest. And Dr. Zan, you're building a school from the ground up. You're not limited by any resources. Your only limitation is your imagination. So how would you build your dream school and what would be your top three priorities? Yeah, well, I mean, certainly a social emotional curriculum that's brain-based, that's neuroscience-based, that's really deeply psychoeducational for kids. I mean, I teach kids as young as two, like this is your brain and this is what it does. And kids need to understand the why so they'll do things for themselves. And I love that. So that would just be a standard, right? And we know like, you know, whenever people want to fight me on social emotional, just have to tell them that the highest income earners have really high EQs. Oh, so, <laughs> emotional intelligence 2.0. Like, you I make mean, a hello? lot more money. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> yeah. invest in emotional intelligence. Yeah. Yeah. And then I'm a huge fan of project based learning. Um, it just lets learning be differentiated, it lets students take ownership of what they love. Um, and it, it really builds autonomy and commitment instead of kids really kind of passing through. So I would have project-based learning for all kids and really have them be stakeholders and help them design curriculum. I, I've seen it done in schools and I just love it. Um, and I think it's a great way to stimulate our, our just all the different kinds of learners, you know? So um, I always tell the kids today, I was like, oh, Dr. Rowe would have a hard time in school today is it's so process oriented and it's not about content. So project-based learn, learning really helps you go deep into content, which 
our kids really enjoy, you know? And then I think my school would really focus and have a lot of community involvement, which is hard in the pandemic, but I would really get all members to take part and be part of that community where it's not teachers and parents on different camps, but you would have really student-based learning where they are the center of the community and they bring in the family component. And instead of always pushing things towards schools, we would really have an integrated approach to the community where everybody is learning about learning and social emotional development. That, That would be my dream. And maybe we'd have some government funding to have parents maybe earn some money where they could be part of the school, you know, um, which means greater taxes, but that's okay. <laughs> Let's use it for, for better things. So I, you know, that, that would be, you know, you have a psychologist, she's got two heavy social emotional things in there because, you know, with safety and comfort and love, a lot of beautiful things can come out of that. And not all, all of our kids have that. Well, Dr. Rowe, thank you so much for being a part of the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast. We covered a lot of ground. So everything we talked about today, What's the one thing you want a ruckus maker to remember? The one thing I want a ruckus member <laughs> to, to remember is that I want you to open your mind about solutions for kids' mental health. There really are many ways to help support our kids and they're science-backed. And, you know, I have a whole book about them. It's called It's Going to Be Okay. But it, I want, instead of always referring to a physician, you know, Refer to a therapist before you refer to physician. Not that I'm saying that's the only way, but, you know, give parents education about how to support their kids' coping skills. I think that's one of the greatest things that school personnel could do. So be open to solutions. Be, know that you are important decision makers in a family's life if you're a teacher or if you're um, a, an administrator, you really can have a really powerful impact by saying, hey, have you ever thought about this? And, you know, it's a fine line. I respect that and understand it to show a parent that there's a different way. Um, but we can we can do that. You know, I've been a school person too. Like, hey, you have you ever heard about this? So open the door to parents about solutions that empower them. Brilliant. And we will have It's Going to Be Okay, your website, you know, all the social places linked up for the ruckus maker listening in the show notes, of course. Thanks for being my guest today. Thanks for listening to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, Ruckus Maker. If you have a question or would like to connect, my email, daniel at betterleadersbetterschools.com or hit me up on Twitter at Alien Earbud. If the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast is helping you grow as a school leader, then please help us serve more ruckus makers like you. You can subscribe, leave an honest rating and review, or share on social media with your biggest takeaway from the episode. Extra credit for tagging me on Twitter at Alien Earbud and using the hashtag BLBS. Level up your leadership at betterleadersbetterschools.com and talk to you next time. Until then, class dismissed. Mm.